Hey everyone, this is Arnold Bjorn with Warm Welcome. Today's episode is the last and final episode of season three, where we ventured into female Asian American restaurateurs and chef owners. So today we're sitting down with no one, no other than、uh, Simone Tong. So Simone is the chef and co-owner of Little Tong. They have three locations now, actually. So the first one that opened in the East Village. Second one in Midtown East, and then the most recent one is in a food hall called the Deco, kind of the Garment District, I guess I could call it on Thirty Ninth Street. But in any case,、uh, a, a big fan of her restaurants, and、um, you know, for for this episode, I it, a lot of it was trying to catch up with Simone. She's had a, a really crazy zigzag kind of story, very similar to Michael, I would say, where it wasn't very direct. There were kind of.、Uh, Influences early on and kind of telltale signs that maybe she would end up in restaurants, but she had plenty of lies and plenty of different careers before she ended up opening up Little Tong.、Um, but in any case, the story begins in Chengdu, China, where she grew up. Where it was a very much different time then as opposed to now. So in the eighties in Chengdu, that was the time when I was a kid. Eighties、mm. in Chengdu is very different from, from 2000, now, right? Yeah, or nineties even. So my teenager. Years of Chengdu food memories very different from my kid memories, but I would like to sh- share with you. Please, when was a child?、Uh, four things. There are four food items that I remember very vividly as a kid in Chengdu, where everybody is still bicycling everywhere.、Wow. The sky is like not polluted. There's no industry. Everybody's friendly. They all wear the same clothes. Wow. The Mao. Was it red? It's not. It's dark blue. Really. And, and gray. Oh. Yeah. It's a.、Uh, it's called Zhongsanfu.、Uh, Um, so we don't really have lots of you know commercialization then.、Uh, every time I went back as a kid, in the winter time, is this charcoal grilled sweet potato、Yo. that sell on the street that you can smell from a distance and you know you hold it so preciously with your two hands, and the crispy skin when you open that the steam comes out with this beautiful warm wintry、uh, sweet potato scent and it's like. Yummy and mushy inside.、Um. There's no, you know, there's no other seasoning. You just eat that. It's beautiful and it warms your heart. And that's one thing.、Yeah. The second thing is edamame, young soybean that's not sh-、uh, d- that's still at its it on its branch. Yeah, much hairier than the edamame we see right now. That's you know in the frozen aisle. But my grandmother will boil that with sea not sea salt whale or whale salt. Like underground salt, okay, yeah, where Sichuan is known for,、mm. and I would eat that, and I would love her so much because I love her mommy. <laughs> and the third thing was pomegranate. Really? You, do you remember the first time you see a pomegranate fruit, and、okay. then when it's opened, yeah, it's, it's sections, vi- yeah, and you're like, what is this? I know, I was really <laughs> right.、Yeah. You're like, it has like this small little、uh, jewels that you like, you know, burst. Very interesting. That was exciting. That、yeah. I also remember eating that when I was maybe four years old. The last one has to do with my grandfather. I think he was a tax collector. That's how I、uh, imagine he,、mm. because I feel like he has this little briefcase and he goes to markets, food markets in 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 Sichuan, like in Chengdu, every morning. But I think he's also a, a teacher before that. So like in his sixties, he might be working as a. As a governmental agency to go around the markets, and every day I would ask him to bring back gizzards, like、mm. chicken gizzards that's braised, and when we slice it really thin and put some like、um, chili, dry chili, it's like crunchy and yummy.、Wow. I don't know. It's very, it's very childhood. That sounds、yeah. amazing.、Mm. You've lived and traveled 
everywhere, a lot of places.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have Beijing, Macau, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia that I that I found.、Uh-huh. If someone asks you where where is home, what what is I mean, obviously China too, but、mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your experiences at these places in these countries. Okay, so. Let's be brutally honest. <laughs> so Beijing, I lived in Beijing, Shenzhen, Macau, Hong Kong. Yeah. Before Singapore, so that was before I was eleven. Okay. I didn't live with my parents. Growing、when、up, I, you didn't. Yeah, when I was when living in these cities, in Beijing and Shenzhen and Macau, I didn't really live with my parents. So I was under other parents' roof. Yeah. It's difficult because as a kid, you're like.、Um, You're like scared about what they would do to you. Right. It wasn't the best experience, but I had some fun. But then I learned adaptability. Yeah. I learned to be adaptable. I learned to be very sensitive to people's adults' mood. Yeah. Um, and I learned to be self-entertaining. So then, when I l- moved to Singapore and Australia, Singapore was the home because my parents were there. We、um, migrated to Singapore from Macau and Hong Kong. Um, for so for the seven or eight years, me as a teenager, that was home. I would feel safe. Australia was a choice I made to go. So Singapore was still home. So、okay. Singapore.、Uh, so basically, home was where my parents was. Got it. And then until I moved to New York, New York is home. Right. Because that's where I am, and the restaurants and all the people that work with me in the restaurants. So yeah, yeah, this is home. So I'm curious as to see. You said when you were eleven, you lived in abroad in these places, and you had host parents.、Mm-hmm. Was that your decision? Was that something? How how did that kind of transpire? It's.、Uh, I'm sure this is not a unique story for Asian parents and families.、Mm. Um, my parents, it, it was my parents' decision, but it's really because they were business people, so they 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 think they don't have time to take care of me. They don't think that they give me the best education, or.、Um, Yeah, time. So I was living with like professors or musicians, and、uh, go go going to these experimental schools in Beijing. That as a grade two、uh, student, you could learn、uh, math or astronomy or science or music at、uh, the same level as grade six. Yeah. So it was experimental, but it, I was also very confused and lost. Such an interesting education,、and、I'm sure. And it's right after 1989, so 1990. Yeah. I was in Beijing. That、okay. was also a whole different kind of China. What what the one thing I also found? Okay, you were you got a first involved with restaurant work when you were I heard translating、mm-hmm. for your mom's yeah restaurant. Very, is that correct? Yes, very accidental, very random. And、uh, what time frame was this? If you could kind of put into oh, two thousand and four. Okay. Yeah. So when I was high school. No, junior, junior. Oh, in in college. Sorry. Junior, yeah, yeah. yeah. Randomly, this. Amazing French chef walk past by my mom's restaurant called Cafe Forenza. She didn't have my mom. My mother doesn't know anything to do with restaurant world. She likes coffee. She thinks <laughs> it's very elegant to have a beautiful cafe, just like in Florence or you know any any、yeah. place in Italy, and sip coffee and have little cookies and desserts or、uh, afternoon tea、so、with、elegant. her friends. But <laughs> it's totally <laughs> not the case. Right,、um, because restaurant is a business,、um, and she's not very good with restaurant running a restaurant business. So this chef passed by the restaurant.、Uh, she fell in love with someone online. That is a Chengdu girl. So she came to 
uh, Chengdu, he came to Chengdu from Texas by way of Texas, and but he's all he was he's also a French chef, so he's moved all over the world. He's very international too. Very international, <laughs> you know. He's like the typical French chef, like at age started cooking at age of fourteen, so he he's like anybody speak English, and then my mom's like she does. That's my daughter, so he was like I would like to be a chef here. I would like to be the chef of this restaurant. My mom's like welcome. <laughs> yes, which is a great spirit of my mom that I, as I was, re- you know, reading these yeah. questions that you let me realize she's just spontaneous and she welcomes whatever opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mom, you don't even know this person. She's, she's like, no problem. She's, she's, she's kind of, he's, he's French. He looks amazing. So we just taste his food. If the food is great, we'll integrate his menu into the restaurant. How did that partnership go? Did it, was it successful for the most part or? Successful. Yes. Quite successful. And, um, until maybe a year or so he left for some other opportunity yeah so we but we learn a lot i learn a lot the the chefs in the restaurant learn a lot everybody yeah. loved him he's yeah. so he's he's like he drinks espressos every day and dr- smokes red marlboro <laughs> very hardcore yeah french chef but that was the first time when a french chef standing right in front of me um was dicing slicing cooking Mm. like plating in an art form. I mm. was so inspired by it. Yeah. I was like, wow, cooking could be this fun. Yeah. And this is, you said, you were you were in school and you went to UNC Chapel, right? Yeah. And you were actually studying economics and psychology, if I'm not mistaken, yes, right? Yes, I did. How th- was that? How did that come about? At psychology, I've, I'm always curious about people's mind, mm. what they do, why are they good, what, what's their intention? And economics is just study of business it could be studies of business studies of the society so yeah. i think the combination of both could allow us to do a lot of things yeah i think that's a good reflection of probably the life you led up to the point you went to school which is so international and mm-hmm. kind of having to adapt to different yeah. uh, cultures and places yeah um well uh, said yeah and in 2009 this is in the, uh, this is i think a really good year to talk about 2009 you had an epiphany mm-hmm you're watching after I watched this too actually after hours which was hosted by um, Daniel Balud and yes. this is when WD50 was the oh my goodness I mean this was the time right yeah. in New York um, it started to be the time yeah yes. it was it was the making of mm-hmm. what we have today but tell us about 2009 and what you were doing yeah 2009 I was I, I just 2008 I, I left Macau I was working for Louis Vuitton and I started traveling and eating. And I have a, a friend who's a very successful entrepreneur. He's sponsoring his cousin to play poker at World Series of Poker. And to buy into all these competitions are not cheap. It's usually 12K, 10K. So he's sponsoring his cousin to buy into you know, these competitions. And he was playing World Series of Pokers around the world in Europe and you know, in Asia. In and I think 2009, he got into the final nine. Wow. And for that period of time, when I was traveling with my friends, I was sitting behind them um, when they were playing. You can sit behind people that are playing uh, and observing and learning to play poker. And I was like, this is really fun. This is, <laughs> you got to study. You're not playing, you're not technically gambling. Gambling, yeah. Blindly. Uh, you're still gambling because you are, you are, you know, you don't know the answers for sure. So of course you're like um, gambling in some way, but you're, you're playing with one another, not with the house. Um, and you have to study their patterns and their mind and their psychology. And yeah. at the same, same time, you have to take calculated risk, which involve 
psychology and math, yeah. which I think it's related to kind of what I study. Yeah. So I read a lot of books um, and I tried it for a year or so. Okay. Yeah. What was, well, okay, before we talk about 2009, there's, there's a gap of three years I, I do want to talk about because you graduated in 2006 mm-hmm. and then the epiphany came in 2009. Yes. And in the three years in between, were you in, were you in D.C.? No, no. So the three years in between, nobody really asked me this question. I'm just curious. Yeah, I'll tell you what I did. Um, In the three years in between, I went back to China to help my dad's realistic project a little bit and then help my mom's restaurant a little bit. Got it. And also, that was also the time where a lot of foreign friends came to China to teach English. Okay. Because... Wasn't the Olympics in 08 in China? Yes, right? yes. Yeah. But like 06, 05, 06, China was well, I mean, it's still very welcoming for yeah. foreign friends. But our age, like 20-somethings, early to late 20s, um, the you know, the English, the Americans, Australians, they all want to come to China and relax a little bit and, you know, maybe study Chinese culture, but really to teach English and make friends and yeah. then save money and travel. Yeah. So... I realized there's an opportunity for me to like gather all of them and start my own English language school because I'm I I know how difficult it is to learn English as a foreigner or as Chinese and I know it's not just learning English is not um, just to get into schools or get a good job learning English like any other language it's to open your eyes to a different culture Mm. with English you know um, South Park (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you will be able to understand Shakespeare. You probably could enjoy Sex in the City. Like yeah. th- they are inside jokes. Yeah. Um, so I, I I want to help everybody to. So you started a school. You said I started a school. <laughs> um, I you know I sent out flyers, make sh- make try to ha- convince people to come to the school and have my friends teach English in a very interactive game, like more fun way wow. to learn English. Was this in Chengdu? Or? Yeah, it was in Chengdu. It was affiliated with Sichuan University and they they gave me uh, an office. And wow. That was fun. I feel like you've lived so many <laughs> lives. <laughs> and then I went to Macau. I worked for Louis Vuitton. Um, I, and I gave my school to uh, my very good friend who's now living in New York. Um, yeah, he d- he did he did he did great for the school until the giant earthquake happened. Oh. And every students left Chengdu and went back to their hometown because of the earthquakes. So yeah, he closed the school and came back to the states. Wow. Okay. So you've you've had such an illustrious career. <laughs> yes. In everything but restaurants. Yes. How? Okay. Let's talk about restaurants. Yes, How did you get into it? And I, I know I briefly mentioned earlier about you know the after hours episode with yeah. uh, Daniel Balut. It truly was an epiphany because before that, I love eating good food. Right. Like all Asians. Yeah. I, th- I think I grew up in a uh, restaurant dining tables because my parents are business people. So in in talking about any business, it's always, always over food, right? Food, over food, yeah. So and then I had a, um, a, s- a small experience as a translator for my mom's chef, uh, for, for my mom's restaurant chef. And then I went back to UNC Chapel Hill and just host parties and try to make food that looks good but doesn't really taste good. But I think the, uh, the idea of hosting parties, uh. of making people having fun over food is very uh satisfying yeah yeah and and then uh, look watching chef balut um hosting this after hours with all these food writers broadway stars and celebrities and chefs talk about food i thought this is such a great thing to do 
Yeah. It opened up your uh, possibilities maybe about getting into restaurants. Yeah. So with my naivete, I'm like, I think this is a calling. I should be a chef. Wow. Yeah. It really is me being very naive. I don't know how it, you know, with the information now I have or the experience I have, I don't know if I would say yes. It's the same thing if you were to do it all over again. Yeah. You sent out 20 emails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe more. Maybe you know, more. Like, yeah. I don't know. Was it like just mission, just looking at Michelin restaurants or was it like the best restaurants in, 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 in Europe or top 50? I think top 50 was there. Yeah. Then. So you were you applying to all over the, yeah. the world? Yeah. Internet was free. <laughs> it's still free. <laughs> the opportunity you got uh, was at a restaurant in Singapore, right? Yes. Called 53, I want to say. Yeah. Um, have you heard of this? I have oh. actually never heard of it. Did I, you Google it? I didn't get a chance to. Yeah. It's very interesting. So the chef um, worked and staged at uh, Noma and Fakduck. This is early. Wow. This is 2009. It's very impressive. And they opened this fine dining restaurant with a Nordic-inspired ins- yeah. Uh, oh, in Singapore. Rest, yeah, in Singapore. Wow. So it was quite revolutionary, but I, I think they closed after four years. Yeah. I was a stage. We we go there at about seven or eight a.m. We finish at one a.m. It yeah, was sounds about right. Exhausting. <laughs> sounds I had no idea how exhausting it was. I was like, what did I get myself into? Yeah. What was that like? That was your first professional restaurant experience, right? I was clueless. Yeah. I was clueless, and I think I was arrogant. I was not humble. Mm. I didn't learn the attitude to be humble. Mm. So when my, sh- my when when the sous chef was yelling at someone else, I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then he was looking at me. He's like, you have no idea what you're saying or get yourself into. Yeah, you know, go and pick herbs and brush potato skins. But I guess something clicked because I mean, you even studied. You went to an ICE, right? Mm-hmm. I went to ICE because that was the only way to get into New York. Oh, so when you were in Singapore working there, did you did you already have New York in mind? Yes, I already applied the school and interview at the embassy. I yeah. got the visa. I just thought I should do something yeah. more. And start doing this cooking thing more. Yeah, so. You want to get into it more deeper. Yeah, yeah. But it was great experience. I take note. I, you know, I'm sure you would do that. You, I take every single notes. I write diaries. I of your experiences. Every recipes. I learn. Try to learn and absorb everything I can. Yeah. Yeah. Since you mentioned, it, let's let's talk about the restaurants you worked at. I mean, WD50 being one of them. Alder, both the same owner mm-hmm. and Chef Wally, and then 15 East, which is also a Mission Star restaurant. Yes, 15 East was very brief and very honored to be part of it before Chef Masato left for Bangkok. Yeah. Um, I I was able to get to 15 East because of my connections at WD50. Of course, all the chefs wrote an email to or called Masato San, and I felt like I felt like. Wow, he say yes because you know I always have this image, as a woman, you d- you can't really work in a sushi place, but I think that's an outdated yeah, image. Yeah. But he say yes to me immediately. So then of course I sharpen my knife and go there to work at eight a.m. and try to stand behind him at the sushi place, uh, sushi counter, and just try to observe and learn. Yeah. Very humbling experience. They butcher so many different kind of fish, and shellfish. I, I love fish and shellfish. Yeah. yeah. So eye-opening experience. What about WD50 and other? And I Wiley? learned. I would say I learned everything. Yeah, they were very avant-garde, right? They were avant. Yeah, WD50 is avant-garde. Was avant-garde, but it was based on traditional flavors. Chef Wiley's, I think, is a huge fan of classic American, French, and Japanese technique. So. Even though we're doing very wily style, we're always going back to how does it taste. Mm. Um, 
what does that mean? What is the tr- tradition behind? So yeah. it's always inspired by old school yeah. flavors to bring it into a different, different, p- different perspective. Yeah. When you were working at these restaurants, in your mind, did it ever click that you wanted your own restaurant? Always. <laughs> always thinking about one day I need to like, what would I do if I'm a chef? What can I learn from? I mean, that's why you're probably taking notes, right, in diaries of these experiences, because yeah. you're trying to probably come up with your own uh, culinary philosophy. Yeah, but it was always to to learn, and then eventually I could have my voice. Yeah. So you took a leap in 2016. You traveled for three months. Yes. Tell I us did. about tell us about that experience, because that's probably you trying to rekindle your with your heritage, right? Trying to rediscover where you come from, and yeah. maybe true. Um, so 2015, I, I traveled to Europe. Uh, 2014, I traveled to U- Europe. But 2016, I traveled back to Yunnan, which is a southwestern province in China, because I wanted to have my first restaurant be inspired by the, the Torah, uh, by, by the nature, by what Yunnan is about. Yunnan is about beautiful ingredients, seasonal ingredients. Yunnan is about freshly make rice noodles, uh, pickles, um, rose gems, they make cheese, they have amazing tea, they have a lot of different kinds of mushrooms and truffles. Yunnan is a wow. heaven in China. So I went there, I was of course very nervous. You know, I have I don't know much about the place, I just have this fantasy in my mind, I read so much about it, I grew up in Chengdu or in, in other parts of China eating mi xian, which is a rice noodle from Yunnan. But when I went there, it blew my mind. Mm. It blew my mind. It was exactly how I thought it was. People are very friendly. Mm. Uh, people from all over China go there and start their own little shop because they maybe got sick of a nine-to-five job. They're like, I want to be a chef. I want to make my own t- coffee or chocolate or brew my own tea. And then you have these little boutique places in ancient towns. Yeah, It, it is quite touristy at some places, but... If you just venture a little bit, meet some friends, they will take you to their grandma's village and show you how the noodles are being made, how the rice noodle sheets are being made, how their wine, their rose wine, their cherry wines being made. So Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess it was a very inspirational experience because when you open your restaurant, it yeah. was revolved or inspired by that trip, I'm assuming. Yeah. Right? I mean, so many times I want to like give up opening these restaurants, I would channel myself back to the space i'm like you know you can do this because of all these beautiful things and memories that people you know create with you in those three months so yeah Yeah. before we get to little tongue which will be kind of the next chapter in this you know interview but you were named a a rising star chef which i i think is you know i've had a lot of rising star chefs on my podcast i think it's a really big deal because it's the people that have been selected for that category have a really long, successful restaurant career. So I think it's a very pivotal moment for anybody to be re- recognized. Yes, very honored to be part of yeah. the Rising Star family. Yeah. Did you ever think you'd get to that point? I mean, you you were playing competitive poker, you were an OVA, I mean... No, but I, I also never thought about all these things. Right. They do come to me and then I'm like, what, really? And then when when uh, Antonio, uh called me, I was so shocked and surprised and I was like jumping up and down the s- in my yeah. little restaurant, I'm like, this is great. So I never thought about I would win or be, uh, be, 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 be a rising star chef. And then I did, and I called Chef Wiley. I'm like, look, I, you know, because he was also a rising star oh, chef. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
since we talked about your trip already, and uh, I, lo I love to talk about your restaurant. Mm -hmm. So, what's the inspiration, the concept behind uh, Little Tong? Little Tong is a noodle shop, primarily a noodle shop to begin with. Um, we do rice noodles. We do different flavors of rice noodles inspired from the region of Yunnan that we talked about before. But more importantly, it's about time and place. So we use seasonal ingredients in New York, from New York or the tri-state area. And then I create dishes according to the season and the inspirations from my clients, customers, friends, and fellow cooks. Um, so it is a Chinese restaurant that you will only find in New York or in this country. It won't have the same flavors of the dish when you go to China or Yunnan. It's right. inspired from Yunnan, sure. but uh, created for the people of New York. Yeah, you could say it's a New York restaurant. It is yeah. a New York restaurant, yes. Um, let's talk about the space. This mm. is this was really fascinating. There was I don't I I should have looked up when I went. I think the meal's not there anymore because I went very recently. But um, when you were first looking for a space. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read there was a mural. Yes. Is it r rice above, right? It is still, the mural is still, still there? there, yes. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Because how long were you looking? So I guess take me kind of step by step. When did the name come about? And then were you looking for a space? Were you looking for a part? How, how did everything kind of materialize? I had a friend who introduced me to my partner. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with him for two and a half hours. I think I made an impression. His name is Simon. My name is Simone. <laughs> and um, after a few months, yeah. Simon emailed me. He's like, what happened to the concept? And are we going to open a restaurant or not? Yeah. I was working for Endo briefly then. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was like, wow, this person is still interested. Yes, 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 yes. So I wrote him a, a long essay. And I proposed of me traveling and then cook for his wedding which happened in Santa Barbara. So the whole trip, after the end of the trip to Yunnan, I cooked for his wedding and it was amazing. So he, I think he was, he has more faith in me. So then we started looking at space. The looking at space didn't take very long time. The first restaurant actually did not take as long as the third or fourth restaurant. We look at two places. The first place we looked at was now Thursday uh, in East Village. There's yeah, the Korean, Korean one, Thursday yeah. Kitchen, I think. Yeah, yeah Thursday Kitchen. And then the second space we look at is 11th Street and First Avenue, the current one you're first. Now, yeah. It's because we were like, wow, this mural, it looks like Chinese and it's very hopeful. And it was a rainy day. We just found out who was the president, I think. Wow. So it was quite depressing. <laughs> and we were like, let's do it. Let's do it. This is, uh, this is a sign. So that's what happened. Yeah. It was pretty easy. Yeah. It wasn't easy. It was pretty quick. Yeah. But so obviously before you signed this lease in the space, you, you had an idea down pat about what it was going to be. It was going to be inspired by your trip. It yes. was going to be a New York restaurant. Yes. It's going to be primarily a noodle place, a rice noodle place. Yeah. But now it has evolved into more of a proper, more proper restaurant. Yeah. Uh, space. Yeah. With only 28 seats. Yeah. So there's appetizers, there's, uh, there's noodles. Mm, yeah. It's fun. I want to tackle a topic of authenticity because mm. I feel like you have a strong stance on this. <laughs> yes. Yes. I do have a strong stance on that because my go-to places to eat as, um, um, as growing up is always hometown food, right? So I go, I go home to, I go home to Chengdu. I eat hot pot. I eat, um, 
like sort of like saokao, which is like Chinese yak- yakitori kind okay. uh, grill. I eat a lot of Sichuanese food, home home cooking. Then I w- go back to Hong Kong, Macau, I eat dim sum. And then when I'm in Singapore, I eat hawker food, laksa, chicken rice, Hainanese wow. chicken, right? They're yeah. all delicious. And then this is an interesting topic because I'm not authentic by other people's definition of authenticity, but I am authentic for my in my own definition of authenticity. So when people, when customers come and they want to compliment me, they're like, wow, this is so authentic. I'm like, no, this is not authentic. <laughs> right. I think what you mean is this is so delicious. Right. Because there's no version of authenticity is, um, that is correct. Everybody has their own memories of what childhood food is. And everybody has their own um, nostalgia of what their favorite food is. It's probably from their grandmother or their mom, which I can't claim authenticity from that because I don't I didn't grow up with your mom or your grandmother I also think that authenticity could make people become lazy interesting in what sense because if it's if there is a fixed definition of authenticity then everybody could just copy and paste and learn from the masters they are great at what they do but when they became masters they probably rise above all other chefs and created something in their own to mm. make an iconic dish. Mm-hmm. The iconic dish in the 80s, in the 90s, is because it was new and innovative and special and improved. So we can, you know, we can still continue to cook iconic dish of the 90s, 80s or 2000s. Yeah. We have to evolve. We have to innovate. Yeah. We have to bring the culture and the memories forward. The uh, last question. You you said even earlier that like if you knew what you know now, maybe you would have gone into this. But if that's you could, why we never know the future, <laughs> which is great. Nobody should invent a time machine yet. Uh, if you could tell yourself when you first dived into this, mm. committing to it, any mm. I don't know advice or the wisdom. Absolutely, it's very simple. Please remember to sleep, drink water, and eat, and you will be fine. Please also remember to learn to trust people, trust in their ability to learn and grow Mm -hmm. and become a team Mm -hmm. and be more patient. Yeah. I I think this is still the advice I'm going to give myself now. Yeah. (laughs) Self-care, self-love, trust. Trust in others. In others. I love that. Thank you so much for for being on the show and kind of laying it out here with me. Thank you um, so much for inviting me. And that wraps it up for this episode, but also this season. Uh, and this season was so amazing. Thank you, Simone, for being uh, the last and final guest of season three, where we ventured into featuring female Asian American chefs and restaurateurs. Um, really incredible season. I learned so much, really great insights from everybody. Um, but I think more importantly, just to know that there's still so many stories that have yet to be told or shared. So that's what I look forward to continue to do. Uh, there's a couple of other big announcements to come as well for season four and uh, what's in store for with one welcome. But in the meantime, we'd love to stay in touch with you all. Um, if you don't already follow with one welcome on Instagram, that's just at with one welcome. Shoot me an email, Arnold at with one welcome.com. Uh, thanks for tuning in and really, really, really appreciate it. And um, hopefully we'll see you soon. <laughs>